Welcome to the Hawkeye Psychic Podcast. And you're very welcome back to the Hawkeye Psychic Rugby Podcast with your host Mark Kennedy. Joined again this week by Liam Breen. Liam Hartings. Good Mark, a bit disappointed with the result of the weekend obviously. We crashed out fairly meekly. I think you probably aptly summed that up anyway. But uh, we'll go through the last eight review. Ulster Rugby's win over Munster Rugby. Leinster giving Danny Wilson his marching orders effectively. Uh, putting 76 points on Glasgow Warriors. Uh, Bulls-Sharks was an absolutely phenomenal game. We'll review that. And as well as the Stormers and Edinburgh. We'll have a end-of-season Munster Rugby review. And also we'll look at the URC semi-final lineup, As well as the team of the year that was announced today. So I suppose... Start with it, I suppose. Liam uh, Kingspan, Belfast, Ulster Rugby, Munster Rugby. Fair to say, one side completely dominated this match. It was the horse and uh, a very deserved 36-17 win over uh, at times hapless Munster Rugby performance. Yeah, yeah, a fully deserved win for Ulster, but we, we kind of we made it easy for them as well. The amount of of knock-ons and misplaced passes and. Conor Murray passing behind players and passing to in fr- to in front of them was uh was incredible. It was uh, I don't know what I don't know what happened uh, that we actually nearly got worse in a way from the performance uh, against Leinster. I think the players have a lot to ask answer for as well now at this stage because over the course of the season certainly um, the players. I suppose you have to drive standards yourself and, and to set them, and that hasn't really happened. And the more we look at it, you know, I suppose over the season, you know, we had three or four games that we really got up for. And after that, kind of, uh, we just weren't at the pace at all. And it's the same way this game. Now, it, it is funny because in the first 20 minutes, it was pretty much level. I think it was, you know, it was seven all. Yeah. We had... Um, the try there initially for Ulster, and of course that was like chaos. <laughs> I, I think it was Kendall and a few other boys were fighting, <laughs> and Hume passing out there to to Cooney for the simplest. It, that was quite embarrassing, to be honest with you, in professional rugby. Initially, what did you think of that? Oh, absolutely, Liam. You know that image of Ian Henderson pointing to the monster players. Look, the play is going on here. Like you know. The handbags at midnight kind of uh, vibe there it was a, uh, it was probably the key image for me after the game. It was the discipline was completely out the window, and when I mean discipline, I mean composure, I mean cohesion, I mean defensive reads not being done. But credit to also rugby, I think you know playoff rugby, you have to bring that a little bit extra. You have to create a few kind of more special moves in the pre or postseason. And certainly, Ulster did kind of bring their main guys to the table, like Balakon. Hume, I thought, was outstanding. Three quarters along with uh, uh, McCluskey. Yeah, to be fair, that first try was just, it really did kind of set the tone. You know, it's all well and good, you know, being up first, you know, standing your ground. But, I mean, game heads were completely switched off for that Cooney try. And I suppose we get the try on 18 minutes with Sean Klein. And you think, okay, there might be a game on here, but very quickly, Ulster's composure, their ball skill set seemed to full effect. And again, some devastating line breaks here really did open up the game in that second quarter. Yeah, but I mean, the key moment was probably that 22nd, 23rd, 24th minute. You had that um, 
tackle uh, Balakum and Carberry. And again, it, it just symptomised the whole season. You know, Carberry, he shouldn't even, he held on to the ball before passing, right? When, when he should have just, quite frankly, not even caught the ball, almost f- f- flicked without looking, you know? And it would have been a it would have been a try. That's what a good a good uh, team would do. And then of course you know a minute later we had Ulster going up to try the match like really in terms of passing the slick passing Hume of course who else Hume to Balakum, McElroy um, onto Moore and then suddenly you had a swing from Munster being maybe fourteen seven to Ulster fourteen seven. That was quite one of the key moments again. Oh, absolutely. I think you've nailed it there. I mean, season probably defined in that passage of play atop McElroy. And uh, particularly the fullback uh, that came in as well, really did they embrace the ethos of Ulster and what Dan McFarlane's trying to do here. It's the creativity. It's the, um, the, the no fear factor in terms of the passes. You know, the rook ball was being well presented. Timoney had a massive game again. Langlefermulen providing Cooney with that go forward ball and but in fairness, like some of the line breaks. Now, you can criticise Munster all you want in terms of maybe defensive reads, but again, it was the devastating speed. Guys coming in on the ball at pace is very hard to defend that. And in fairness to that back three for Ulster, 24 carries, 210 metres. Moore was just completely incredible, really, to be fair. And even on the 32nd minute, it was just an incredible move, really. Really stretching Munster to breaking point and uh, going over in the corner. So, I mean... Munster were completely rattled at that stage, you know, and looking for the halftime whistle, really. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so a halftime, like, 19-7. And it was going to be, like, the next score literally was going to be the most crucial. And literally a minute after the restart, uh, Timney's try put put the result completely to bed. I mean, that, 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 was, that was the end of the game there, wasn't it? Yeah, another devastating line break again. You can criticise all you want about defensive line reads again. I don't know about you, Liam. Did you feel that the defensive line speed for Munster was kind of a little bit out of sorts as well? Did it seem a little yeah, bit yeah, passive yeah, a bit? It was on a few totally. Yeah, and, and, and yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, Ulster cut us to shreds. Let's be honest about it for a lot of game, and there was there was an error. At least I remember it was a McElroy intercept intercepted. He really, honestly, you should have scored. And then Balakum also in the second half had a tremendous uh, break where. I literally think he literally himself was he was held up in like a, a line-up wall. He got himself into for some reason, and yeah. but you know, but they they were probably two two other tries that that went to Began as well. And yeah, to be fair, Earl's got got two really well worked tries and really good finishes there. I mean, that's that's one one of the few things that stands out for me uh, in the game. But yeah, I mean, James Hume to me, I, he's he's Ireland's thirteen. He's far superior. Than, than this Gary Ringrose, you know, who, yeah, Ringrose, Ringrose and, and Henshaw provide that sort of um, defensive power, right? But, like, offensively, he's just a different level, I think, as a centre. He's completely elevated his game, even at the start of the year. You know, he was kind of on the radar, kind of a dark horse again to that Six Nations. But, I mean, his form, you know, in the lead-up to this playoff fixture has been on point, superb. And again, he really did have um, Delende and Farrell pound his hand, really. You know, he's ball-carrying along with McCluskey. I mean, 
if you want to look at a stat here, ladies and gentlemen, three quarters. So you had McCluskey and Hume running for 18 carries for 98 metres. Hume scoring his try, 11 tackles there collectively. Versus Munster, you had Damien Delende and Chris Farrell, 15 carries for 51 metres, seven tackles collectively. I mean, I think that tells the tale of the tape here, uh, Liam, in terms of three-quarter battle. For me, Hume and McCluskey really did dominate for Murray Dorson. Never really kind of uh, relinquished that uh, command, really. And, I mean, Hume was front and centre of it. You know, he's offloading. You know, he's prepared to offload. Same with McCluskey. Quick ball, quick hands. And also the running lines were just superb on the night. Munster couldn't handle it. Yeah, and and again, I mean, I mean, he's been much maligned. But Billy Burns has been yeah. in really quite sensational form. And we have to, you know, kind of, kind of look again in terms of him. Yeah, he's not, he's not like, like kicking out as, as in he doesn't kick penalties, and you might depend on him. In a game, he can, he can, he can run a backline. There's absolutely no doubt about that. So that's something to kind of for everyone in Ireland to review. I mean, in terms of, I was very impressed with um, Gavin Coombs. I think, my God, like he nearly from a standing start, <laughs> he was making serious inroads. Uh, in the first half now he was also prone to eventually spinning ball but like you just saw kind of what we were missing for a lot of season with Coombs out I'll probably give Coombs a bit of a pass here like literally being rushed back to fitness here ahead of a playoff so he probably needed another two three weeks if I'm being brutally honest here for recovery but I think you know he, he put in the effort put in the performance it's pity Jack O'Donnell who wasn't there either but I mean to be fair uh you know, as well, we talked about the pack last week. We had concerns going in there. I'll throw you out a stat with Tom O'Toole. I thought he was phenomenal, 18 tackles. That's from your prop. So I think from that perspective, you, you know, that front line, Munster, you know, literally tried hard. But I think in the key stages here, I think Ulster's pack were completely in the ascendancy. And particularly Nick Timoney as well. We've kind of flagged him in numerous podcast episodes here this year. And again, another strong performance, you know, to try on 42 minutes, really, to blow this game wide open. But 44 metres off five carries, four passes as well, the linking play, 15 tackles. I think now, Liam, for Nick Timoney, he'd be very unfairly uh, judged here if he doesn't get on a plane to New Zealand based on these numbers, really, uh, come the business end of the season. Yeah, yeah, Starman. I mean, as a seven, again, well, without I'd say at this stage, he's only second. Uh, to Vander Fleer, you know, in, in the national picture. The type of game he plays, yeah, it's kind of funny, would very suit New Zealand, so he could even be a be, be a bench player. Oh, completely. You know, he's so versatile, versatile as well, Timmy. Six, seven, eight. So I think he's massive versatility there. It'd be very intriguing to see who may drop out of a squad if he did actually get in. But again, he's there, like, these are national trial games here, Liam, to be fair. These interpros, they were a great opportunity for likes of the Andy Farrells and my cats to run the rule over certain players, who's in form, who's not. Even the players know themselves in terms of the matchups. Get your matchup right here, and literally you're probably looking at a more favourable picture from a national team selection perspective. So I'm kind of intrigued here now to see how Munster season has waned here miserably post-lose. No point sugarcoating it. I think it's a case of how many Munster players actually get into, on this plane. To New Zealand, uh, I think quite a few may play themselves out of New Zealand squad purely on the performances here towards the latter end of the regular season, the Leinster rugby performance, 
and this performance here was completely disjointed and doesn't do some players any favours. No, it doesn't. But that's that's why, in, in a way, for this game, Jack O'Donoghue not being there has been a bit of a blessing for him, you know, because he's another guy who would definitely be on the plane and, and should be on the plane. In Casey, you know, in any terms of sort of form-wise, it would, would certainly be on the plane. And then you're probably looking at Murray, Coombs, Earls and Carberry. But to be honest with you, those halfbacks, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure. You know, even compare, comparing them to the second choice Leinster halfbacks <laughs> or the first choice Ulster halfbacks, it's kind of different different level at the moment. Yeah, you do mention Billy Burns there. I think he has to be prominent now. If he has another strong performance against the Stormers and potentially in the final as well, his form can't be dismissed. And as you say, he runs uh, the game plan so well. He just relishes that open play, that open field, and attacking opportunities do flow. So I think from that perspective, Farrell hasn't has enough faith in Billy Burns. I think he'll certainly come to New Zealand and may potentially get more game time given that Jack Carty has had wrist surgery uh, this week. So he's out of New Zealand picture. I still think there's massive question marks about Joey Carberry at 10, just given what's happened in recent weeks again now you can kind of blame in terms of players around him not executing the game plan in terms of the attacking wise but I think there's other players probably in form with their clubs right now uh, that may justify maybe a start at 10 over him if Sexton was to be rested in one of these New Zealand test matches and I don't think he can hardly argue with it you know if, if we're talking now about a sort of a come into a monster review um, you'd wonder does Roundtree you know, if if he really is his own man and if he's going to make the tough choices because we have choice at, at, at halfbacks, you know. We have two other out-halves. And quite frankly, we also have two very, very good scrummies in Casey and a guy I just really like is Patterson. So, you know, the choice is definitely there. Yeah, what's been your overriding feeling of this Munster rugby? I suppose we get to the end of the season review and congratulations to Ulster. And best wishes to them as they go down to South Africa looking at for a result. Oh, yeah, and I, I'd like to see them in the final, obviously. Oh, completely. Best wishes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's a team that's been knocking on the door here for a few years now, getting over the line. And I think from an Ulster rugby perspective, this is a perfect opportunity to really go down to South Africa, make a statement of intent ahead of a final. So best wishes to them. But we go back to Ulster rugby here and the end of season review. What has been your overriding emotion here, Liam O'Brien, in terms of the season? What have been your highs and what have been your, been your lows here? in terms of this Munster rugby season? Well, look, look, the highs have been few and far between. That's a shocking thing to say. You know, you can count them on, on one hand. So, like, the, the highs were the home return leg against uh, Exeter Chiefs when it was a typical belligerent Munster performance, kind of almost like you know, we're going to refusal to, to to bend and yield to you. Um, and, and, and you just, you know, think of all those cameos that they the famous, you know, O'Mahony and O'Donoghue and just fabulous stuff. And obviously the, the Toulouse uh, performance as well, where they could probably literally do no more. A game, a game of inches, even, you know, at the end for, for the penalties. So th- those were, were two performances. I, they, I suppose it's weird because it shows what they're capable of doing. And it's only a question of were, were they like really up for those games? was that kind of just almost um, exceptions. Those two or three games were really like just exceptions. And for the rest of the season, it was like what we really level were at. That's the real conundrum for me. I'd agree with you there. 
I think a URC league table doesn't lie at the end of the season here, Liam. The fact is we finished sixth in the tournament, regular standings. I, I know people could argue, oh, look, last day was so congested. The fact of the matter is they finished sixth seeds, the third province in Ireland. Some could argue Connacht on their day, you know, literally on any given day, could give Munster a right game and win. So I think from that perspective, Munster have a few reviews to do this week into the off-season. I think highs, particularly prospects, have come true, have delivered. I'm thinking about that Scarlet's game away, start of the season, where Scarlet's brought their first team and got absolutely... They got a lesson off the Munster youngsters, really. Thinking of Liam Combs, thinking of Gundelin, thinking of other guys there that are just literally impressed. Wasps away at the recall, giving the South African trip quarantine, COVID-19, management not there, Ian Costello and the team galvanised, produced an absolute stirring performance. Likes of Scott Buckley, Daniel Okeke, guys of that ilk literally coming in, Patrick Campbell, we hardly saw any of them come February, which I think is really kind of where the negatives for me kind of hit in, is just that probably direction for the prospects. We talk about Crowley, we talk about Healy here. Jake Flannery was given one opportunity in the senior jersey and then all of a sudden he goes to Ulster and best of luck to Jake. But I think the new coaching setup with Graham Rountree, Mike Prendergast, Dennis Leamy, you're going to have to identify fairly quickly here who are the guys to be retained in the squad and who are the guys that have tried hard but are not at that level, are not going to basically increase that competition. And I think I think it's going to be hard calls having to be made in the pre-season here. I think either maybe kind of underrated calorie, but I think senior squad lights, I think there's seven or eight of them here that I think need to be discreetly kind of said, you know, your game time is going to be probably reduced this year. And then with a view to a loan, then to a permanent deal elsewhere. I think it's more negatives than positives, but I think the, the prospects that are coming through are going to be key because round three, there has been no real significant transfers, really, except for Fekitoa. But I think from a pack perspective, we're, we're worried in terms of the front row perspective. You know, stalwarts like John Ryan are departing. And again, we don't seem to have ready replacements there to basically fill the gap. Stephen Arch has become the second most capped player in the province. He's not going to last for another year or two. So where is the succession plans here in terms of that front row? Again, Dave Kilcoyne was out of extended injury. Hopefully he comes back because if he doesn't, I think that piles more uh, additional pressure on the likes of uh, uh, Witcherly, Josh Witcherly. So I think from that perspective, our squad depth is going to be massively tested next season. And I think it might get a little bit worse before it gets better here for Munster, particularly with a new coaching ticket. You have a rookie head coach. And I think from a hierarchical perspective here, Liam, I think there has been an awful lot of a root and branch review done. I've called for this repeatedly. You know, we have a rookie head coach here in Graham Roundtree. Who's the advisor? Who's going to advise him if things don't go well? Who can he bounce ideas off here uh, to kind of, you know, continue his learning progression? Because literally Roundtree as head coach is going to be learning on the job here. And I think from that perspective, I think Munster board really, really need to kind of sit down and really strategize in terms of how this club is going to be run. Because I think from a certain perspective, that Leinster-Glasgow post-game reaction as well, Liam. You know, you had Bernard Jackman, Jamie Heaslip and Peter Stringer, and then it came to training and preparation. I don't know if you heard these comments. I was shocked. Indeed, indeed, indeed. yeah. That for years, everyone has, knows that the training 
down in Munster hasn't been good enough. Question I would like to ask the Munster board hierarchy: uh, Did they know about it? And what action did they actually take here? Because if they haven't taken any action, then how can the club progress if you have maybe a board that's sleeping on the job a little bit? So I think from that perspective, I think this is a massive summer for Munster to get their house in order here. And maybe the IRFU has to come in here and maybe assist in terms of maybe governance and maybe in terms of looking at a root and branch review of all structures here because we should be doing far better. 11 years without silverware now here, Liam. I think it's, uh, it's high time that big changes need to happen as an organisation for the better. Yeah, yeah, uh, I agree with everything you say there. I mean, there's almost <laughs> it's almost a, an ocean of problems, you know, to to to, to go with. But like, in, in one one of the things now is that Roundtree, who hopefully would be his own man, he's going to inherit his squad. So it's over us for saying he's going to cut guys. The the squad contracts have been sorted out. The squad is pretty much in place for next season. So it's it's a question of dropping certain uh, big names and giving the chance to other guys in that sense. Um, he's also left in an unenviable position where in the likes of Hooker and Tight Head Prop were incredibly light. The, the guys who are, who, are, who are there are going to be incredibly young guys coming along. You've got, you've got like I say, Tight Head Props and like that. So you've got James French, you've Mark Donnelly, uh, Liam O'Connor, I don't know he's been injured because I haven't heard from him all season. <laughs> I don't think yeah. he's got a hardly one game all season. Uh, and then we have Hooker, where we have Scott Buckley, who's a, a tremendous talent, who obviously should be given some game time. But Kevin O'Byrne is uh, been let go. Cronin was let go the last last year, and now Ryan. So a really good front row that we actually had has been let go. And I know they said there was it was for like money money reasons basically, but in all fairness, they're like the anchors of your of your pack that you need to keep above all else, you know. So that that's I suppose one thing. In terms then of from the top down, you know, you you could actually say that the the top down there 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 are other kind of external issues as well. It's it's not just the Munster board. Apparently, Van Graan was not happy with the way that the selection models that they were trying to influence his selection. And I'm talking about this 1014 investors group. Yes. I know who, who the, head, the head guy in that is. We don't have to even guess, you know. Uh, and then you had David Nocifora and the, the IRFU as well in terms of playing time, not just for the Iron Internationals, but crazy enough for every other member in the squad who are not internationals you know and so that apparently was one of the reasons along with um i suppose van Brand not not being supported in some signings that he wanted so i mean he i suppose van Brand too was battling on a lot of fronts as well and again he we have to remember like roundtree now did not have a director of rugby or some other guy to kind of to really deal with all that sort of flack exactly coming from internally from 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 the Munster uh, board as well so I mean that's why a director of rugby as you say it would be kind of um quite important to get it doesn't look as if we're going to get that now we could also do with a skills coach <laughs> I think Noel McNamara has been earmarked for Leinster for that if that that exactly reason so that that's kind of something as well but um for me positives I would have to say yeah it would be like yourself 
some of the really excellent young players like um, Kent Ellen, uh, Hodnett for me, who will be pretty much close up for, for player of the year. And Scott Buckley as well did really well. I, I would say Haley, you know, of the, of the established players, was consistently good all season. So in, in, in spite of the fact that we were going to struggle a bit in the, in the, in the front row in particular, I think in other areas, you know, this Anton uh, Frisch as well, he's definitely some guy to look at. I mean, I think we even have to look at him and, and Fekitoa at centre, you know, even a, a different centre partnership to go along with a different half-back partnership. But in, in terms of the league, I mean, we are sixth now. The other five teams are stronger than us. And so, like, fifth or sixth is probably all we can aspire to next season, in terms of the league, anyway. I'd kind of agree with it, just given that the squad the squad news, I say. You know, it's uh, hopefully Graham Rowntree and management staff hit the ground running, you know, really kind of, I suppose, improve and increase the intensity of these training sessions, really, and get the team going quickly, um, you know, with some pre-season wins and particularly early season wins. It is required, as you say, you know, top, top five. I don't think we can argue really too much in terms of that. One, two, three, four, five. They're very strong teams. And then you're looking below us, you know, there was the likes of Glasgow, Edinburgh. But also I'd be expecting more concerted challenges from particularly the likes of Connacht Rugby, you know, given some signings that they've provided in the close season, particularly from Leinster. That'll be a particularly good team to actually watch out for. I would say the Welsh regions as well. There has to be a bit of a reaction here, given, you know, the topsy-turvy kind of seasons that an awful lot of the Welsh regions had. I think, you know, the likes of the Cardiffs, the Scarlets, the Ospreys, I'd be expecting them to put their best foot forward again next season. And then, obviously, you know, you do have the Scottish, uh, you know, and also the Italians as well. So I think it won't get any easier for Munster. And I think Rowntree is under no illusions here in terms of what he has inherited here. I mean, you can say with Van Graan, you know, I've seen some comments in terms of Van Graan, but look, he got Munster to two European Cup semi-finals. You know, there was a few near misses in terms of URC playoffs. Again, Leinster being the dominant force, but there's that kind of next level. Again, this squad hasn't produced it, and I, I can't see where it's coming from, to be perfectly honest with you, Liam. I, I think they just have to go to basics and really identify good young talent here and bring them through and really see if and they can build, build a side long term. Yeah, I, I think also that kind of, I must say, unsettles me is the conditioning of the players. Mm. Uh, I've kind of been noticed the last two seasons in particular, uh, we, ha- we seem to have an amount of injuries, okay? Now, you could argue that that's kind of a part leading out of the terrible rugby we're playing, the one-off others thing certainly doesn't always help. But I, I think it's actually down to the actual conditioning of the players themselves. I think there's a lot of guys who uh, you think of professional rugby players in terms of body fat, fat percentages are just, quite frankly, off the charts, you know. They don't look like lean muscle guys, quite frankly. They have some guys with bellies on them. And I'm talking about backs and and forwards. And I, I think if you if you were to compare the athleticism uh, uh, and appearance of the Leinster players, that's also something, you know, that's probably one of the most basic thing that wants to have to sort out um, for starting as well. I mean, how is it that at the end of the season we pretty much have half our pack 
out with long-term injuries. Um, I think since that Alan Walters went off to South Africa, that probably has been uh, a difference as well. Game management, that workload of players again, you know, where like the, there was a stat throwing 60-plus players in Leinster. I played URC action, so they've been able to very effectively kind of manage game time and bring valuable experience to for academy players like like Sir John McCarthy this time last year we wouldn't have heard of. He was on the radar of an awful lot of Leinster rugby fans, but not to the outside. Again, guys like that are given the opportunity, but given concerted game time to learn, you know, like said the Jimmy O'Brien's guys like that. So again, haven't really seen that from Munster. I mean, we go back to the Wasps game, the Rico Arena. That could have been the perfect opportunity and foiled then to give some of these youngsters more additional game time. But it just seemed to me that once we got in Six Nations, it went to back to tried and trusted. Thanks very much, guys. You know, your time will come. And then literally went based on the 40-man squad that they were using. And as you say, injuries have come and these one-out runners, you know, that takes an awful lot of physical punishment. But it's, again, endemic. It's like a trademark of this ball club. When we got to the business end of every season, key marquee players have literally gone down with injury. And again, you need your top guys. You know, I'm looking across all the other playoff teams and you do, you don't see the level of injuries that Munster would be reporting. So is that to do with the pitches in the training facilities? Is that to do with what they're doing in terms of physical work versus their gym work, um, weights and all that sort of stuff? I think it's everything has to be under review here, uh, Liam. And I don't think within Munster they can actually address these issues. I think they need to go to the outside and need assistance first from our few, or if they could get a consultant in to have a real a World Cup winner. <laughs> Someone like Graham Henry came into that Leinster setup not too long ago, you know, um, came in, invited in the summer just to see how things were going. And, you know, obviously recommendations and discussions happened with Leo Cullen and guys like that. And you see how Leinster have elevated their game. I think we're going to have to need a reboot of some sort in Munster Rugby to kind of get up to that trajectory. I have no issues on Graham Rountree. I think he's a good rugby man, and but he needs a support network around him. And as you said, the director of rugby is the glaring, obvious omission here. We ditched it midway through the season. We said, we're not getting a director of rugby. Thanks very much. Graham, there you go. And I mean, have we learned from our mistakes at all? I don't think we have. You know, so I think from that perspective, it is, um, it's a worry. It's a worrying off-season, I think, from anyone associated with Munster Rugby right now. I think... An awful lot of decisions that will, could be going down here in the next few weeks will define how this club has been run in the next two, three, five years. And I, I also, I have to add this, it, it's also intrigued me for a while, but like you could always pinpoint the decline of Munster Rugby to when supposedly it was going to get better by having one training base and having all the Cork lads come to Limerick. I, I think we could do no worse next season than then for, for next season to actually revert back to the old two uh, two uh, training bases, you know, and get a bit of freshness almost in, into the sessions, you know. I don't think why the, it, it was it was all the rage was Munster were somehow um, handicapped by having the true training bases. It certainly didn't uh, result in any. B- sort of performances that we are seeing now. So they're almost like too much in each, in each other's pockets now. And just, I think, as, I, as you say, everything root and branch has to be looked at, including that, I would even add. Yeah, I would think so. You know, because you would have heard stories, you know, of Christmas period, Cork-based guys training down in Cork, 
Limerick-based guys training on Limerick and then coming back as a group after Christmas or stuff like that, you know, to kind of... But there were standards there, Liam. Players accountable for their actions, you know, that sort of direction, that leadership. I know management, Declan Kidneys of this world, would have basically laid down the, the structures and the best practices, but the players itself were extremely professional what they did. Again, I'm not saying that there isn't professionalism within this player group, but I think from that perspective, could you see the same happening here? I mean, standards could drop. So I think from that perspective, it would raise morale, definitely. And again, you'd have your strength conditioning teams being split into two locations. So I think from that perspective, it has to be looked at. Everything has to be looked at. Anything to increase morale, productivity of the guys has to be taken on the the table. And the players obviously would have feedback in terms of how things have gone this season. You know, there will be this week a very much root and branch kind of end of season review before everyone breaks up for either international duty or goes on holidays, coming back in in four to five weeks in pre-season. Obviously, the players would have noticed stuff that would have gone on. How is that going to filter up here? Will that feedback be basically applied? That sort of thing. So there has to be honesty within this managerial group. I mean, Larkham, Van Graan, leave. You'd hope that likes of Prendergast and, well, you know, Prendergast is probably still in France. Leamy is probably still contracted with Leinster. So, again, what use is this end of year season review, to be perfectly fair? So it might have to actually happen in June, July when guys are coming back. So I think from that perspective, it's all a little bit of a state of flux. But here we'll <laughs> we'll come to that when we come to it. But I think it's been, a, I suppose, a very disappointing end to the season here for Munster. And I think, to be fair, it's, uh, yeah, it's one that, you know, there will be some standout memories, particularly that Toulouse game, particularly the extra Chiefs. But I think overall, I think no silverware. Leinster rugby really dominating Munster as well, again, in those marquee games. Ulster will be really a statement of intent last Friday night. And also that performance in sports ground against Connacht as well didn't really do much either, you know, from an interpro perspective. So I think from that perspective, Munster have an awful lot of motivation to come back and really deliver in spades. But whether to do that or not is a different story. I suppose then we can get on to the URC, the other playoffs I mentioned at the top of the show in terms of Leinster, Glasgow. It was a great start from Glasgow. But my God, after minute 14, it all unraveled fairly quickly for them. Yeah, uh, it certainly did quite quite quickly. Yeah, Leinster. I suppose they, to be honest, the only reason that they were in the game for that first fifty minutes, twenty minutes was probably because Leinster were a bit asleep. If we're being brutally honest about it, and once the 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 giant woke up, that was that was the end of that. Uh, their their running lines were sensational. From obviously like Larmer in particular, um, uh, Frawley was brilliant as well. What 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 a baller he is! Like pure footballer. But like 76-14, yeah, it, it states to me that even though they finished eighth in the league, that the Scottish teams are, are well off what the, the Irish and the, the South Africans uh, are currently bringing to the table. I suppose Leinster want a bit more of a test as well, you know. But look... Um, it, it was brilliant just to see every one of those tries were actually brilliant with 12 tries, I must say. Definitely. I mean, it was a nervy start off Leinster. Let's start, start off the bat. In fairness to Zach Fackerson, I think it was a great try to start off. And you thought, OK, maybe we have a playoff game here. But then Richie Gray, 13th minute, gets yellow carded for incident with Gibson Park. And it just kind of unraveled from then. And we can talk about Danny Wilson 
any contribution to Glasgow Warriors in due course. But my God, I thought defensive line speed. You know, we're critical of Munster's defensive line speed there. And that's a slight critique. My God, if you're playing Leicester rugby, your defensive line speed has to be absolutely aggressive, spot on. But I've not seen a worse line speed performance of a defensive team in the URC this season than I saw last Saturday afternoon uh, in the RDS, I think. Glasgow's line speed was just absolutely atrocious from start to finish. And again, you know, 76 points really does speak to tell the tip, really. That, that, that's the key, isn't it? At least if you, if, if you have your line speed up and a good, good set, you have some sort of chance. But they were just absolutely cut to shreds. And um, I suppose shameful, if you're talking about the word shameful for professional players, that certainly was that. Does it really all go back onto the coach? I mean, so the coach gets the sack. I mean, this season wasn't good. Ulster have been, or Glasgow actually have been quite poor towards the end of the season, funny enough, in terms of on their trip to South Africa, even then against uh, Edinburgh the last time out. So it's kind of the season kind of has unraveled. For it has to be said, a, a team that had 23 Scotland cap players in their squad. I, I think the comfortability here goes all around. I think it's a very easy knee-jerk reaction from Glasgow Warriors to sack your head coach. The fact of the matter is the player group as well has to take massive accountability for that performance. Again, that third quarter and fourth quarter was nothing short of embarrassing. You know, players not prepared to put in, put the bodies on the line. You know, how many runners out wide were Leinster? There was overlaps consistently in that third quarter. It wasn't as if Leinster worked ridiculously hard here, you know, sensational line breaks off Larmer, Frawley, O'Brien throughout, like, but the fairness to Glasgow, there was no fight, there was no nothing. As soon as as soon as Sheehan and Larmer got their tries in that first twenty minutes, the game was up. You could see their mall defensive mall was in serious trouble. And again, there was a sin bin there for Smith on the forty five minutes again, which was kind of if we thought that this game was well and truly up, it was then at that stage. And I think to be perfectly honest, you know, like we talk about Munster Rugby having to rebuild, but I think from a Glasgow Warriors perspective, I don't know how you'd review that. I mean, Danny Wilson gets sacked. Glasgow Warriors can tank him all in the press release. But the fact of the matter is he's the scapegoat for this performance. But I think there's far reaching structural issues within Glasgow Warriors here, given, as you say, 23 capped. Scottish players in that squad, you'd expect a bit more given a quarterfinal, given, you know, seasons on the line here for Glasgow. I don't think Danny Wilson is just the sole responsible person for the 76 points. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, you'd also have to make that same very same point about Munster and the coach and the players as well. So, I mean, at least we can say <laughs> Glasgow and Edinburgh probably finished below us next season. So it's kind of like, that's at least some crumb of comfort. Yeah, but I suppose, you know, they're in that Italian-Scottish group. And I suppose we can get, like, congratulations to Leinster. I mean, Jordan Armour, outstanding, 15 carries, 128 metres, two tries. Phenomenal back three, contributed 190 metres for Leinster. That kind of told tale of the tape, metres gained 668, if I can read my own handwriting here, versus 315 for Glasgow. 200 passes, 120 tackles for Leinster. So it was a complete performance, and I think they'll look to next weekend uh, pretty positively. But I suppose um, Edinburgh, going down to the Cape, we thought this one would be a blowout, Liam, more so that that Leinster-Glasgow game. But in fairness to Edinburgh, 
to a man. I thought they acquitted themselves very well down there in the Stormers. Stormers, very hard-earned 28-17 win over Edinburgh. Yeah, it, it was. And I mean, I mean, the first half of it finished, finished even and a try apiece. And yeah, the the Stormers, I, I, to be fair, I, I, there were a few times they were very close. They were a, 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 a kind of forward pass away from, from getting a few tries there in the first half. But it was competitive. It was competitive right up to the last 15 minutes, really. That's what I feel looking at this season, that while... The Stormers certainly have some big name players and play a great band of rugby. I mean, Ulster definitely will be looking at that performance and saying, we can really take them here uh, and and take them in a way that we're not waiting on a, a try in the last minute <laughs> that, you know, might not be given to us. They can certainly, from the start, be very confident of winning the collisions, I think, taking it from there. But, I mean, the Stormers back three again even three quarters, once they get going, any front football at all here, Liam. And credit to Edinburgh, I mean, uh, Gallant with, you know, a great try after eight minutes, and you think, this looks ominous for Edinburgh. But then uh, Cherry with a great mall try from Edinburgh's perspective, really good, like, and then Bradbury gets in bin. Buffelli, I thought, was absolutely superb during the day, you know. His kicking was on point, you know, 11 carries, 75 metres. And uh, Henry Pergos as well, very shrewd game operator as well, came to the fore there with a great try. But that there's some sensational running lines uh, to create those line breaks. Nell and Roos as well. My God, Roos is just a phenomenal player. <laughs> Liam, I mean, South Africa just been blessed with back row options, but this one is looking an absolute worldly. He is, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's a, he's a guy you could build your back row around him. You'd nearly put him now in. And then say, who's the, who's the other two are going to be alongside him? He is that good. But, yeah, um, in terms of Lucy's and back rows, the Stormers are very, very good there too with Dion Fauri and Dianti. And then they have magical halfbacks and yeah, they, have, they have like a backline to, to absolutely die for. They're really, you know, they're, they're, they're certainly... Capable, I see. I even they're the capable, of course, of getting the win and going to Dublin and, and retesting Leinster. They have it all, really. Yeah. I think how Lins, uh, how Ulster rugby play this is going to be absolutely fascinating subplot here. And I think Leinster maybe showed playing the Stormers. You know, you do have to vary it out a little bit in terms of your pack exchanges. Really, kind of get that set piece going because maybe kind of the Stormers at times can be a little bit mixed in terms of their set-piece execution, but then kind of varying it out because Ulster do have a very attacking kind of focused backline there as well. But again, you can see Stormers threat like out wide again. Any kind of ball that doesn't go to hand from Ulster could automatically be seven points here, just given the speed merchants that are on display really. And I think Libok, you basically mentioned here, I think he's growing game on game. Whenever I've seen him, he's gotten more impressive. Particularly, he's kicking out of hand. I think his game management is evolving very much. And I think maybe this is the benefit of being on your seat that I think South African teams, some of these players realise that you have to vary your game. You have to be completely strong at all aspects of play. Uh, I know the try on 54 minutes for Roos. I mean, it was a kick in behind. And again, but uh, I think to be fair to uh, Libok, I mean, playing superb stuff. And yeah, I think Ulster will have it all to do uh, down in the Cape, uh, 
but I think that's a fascinating, fascinating fixture. And I suppose, Liam, we can get probably to the standout tie of the round, really. I was really looking forward to this one last week, the pack battle exchanges. But my God, like the Bulls and the Sharks, they absolutely delivered a, a dramatic playoff fixture here in the Loftus Versfeld 30-27. What were your kind of thoughts on the game? Yeah, 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 yeah. Brilliant, brilliant game. Hugely enjoyed it. Uh, it, was, it was like real intensity, real quality. Like all the tries were, were immensely quality as well. We had like, you know, uh, and all big players delivered. I think that's key on both sides, you know. So Tambui and Kosia and Grobelar and Nortia were all, you know, as immense as they have been all season. And then likewise, we had like so Lucanio Am and Bongi and Banambi and Venter, uh, who were also outstanding. It, for me, I suppose the thing was, it was a, a game where it ebbed and flowed and nobody ever really in the game got on top. They really didn't, you know, very exciting that way. Um, I I think, you know, Tambui is, is another guy who, like South Africa, if, if, if he's eligible, he, he certainly has to be there or thereabouts. Grobelar has been just named in the team of the season, the RC. He, he's a brilliant player. So, yeah, I mean, Barambi, he got his try there um, in 15 minutes after initially Tambui got a got a touchdown. There was a, a kick through. Then we had Kutsia getting a try there in the beginning of the second half. And it looked for a while there when they got a, they got as far as 20, I think it was like 25, 27-13 ahead in the, in the second half. And it looked comfortable but yeah they came back brilliantly for two tries for the sharks crazy enough in the 80th minute the sharks had a scrum on the halfway line <laughs> and somehow it was like um they kind of fluffed that the bulls got a, a penalty kicked almost to the corner and then they were able to i never saw in my life a better work drop goal like literally in front of the posts yeah so brilliant stuff no it was straight from the trailing ground there Liam wasn't it it was so composed that's how you do it like you basically trust your process phase after phase after phase and you say instead of position you know literally the Sharks guys had to be underneath their posts and in fairness to Chris Smith he was absolutely phenomenal with boot all day and so the one way that ball was going, wasn't it? Um, over over the black spot. But Sharks, the third try, Liam. <laughs> My God, what handling there, to be perfectly honest, the offloading. You can you am, yeah, with oh, his kind of uh, not even know. looking to the leg, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it was just, you know, phenomenal. Phenomenal off the Sharks to kind of put themselves, you know, in position again after kind of a ropey start to that second half, I could say, and also Hendricks. Kendricks as well getting over. As I said, the locals turned it off the first slot, probably thought the game was up. But uh, to be fair to the Sharks, uh, you know, they're all very impressive. Uh, it was all very evenly poised. And I thought both teams gave as good as they got. It was a real advertisement for the URC. Like we've talked here in terms of the playoffs. And again, there's been a few blowouts. So let's be brutally honest about it. Even Edinburgh showing the good 
good moments against the Stormers. Still lost by 11. There was a 19-point loss here from Munster. And then literally not even counting the score between Glasgow and Leinster. So, I mean, this was a competitive game on paper. And that's what the playoffs are all about. You know, that fine margins of victory. And to refer to the Bulls heading up to Dublin this weekend, they'll pose a physical challenge to Leinster. And I think for Leinster, it'll be a good asset test again just to see where they are in terms of their collisions and where they match up physically in terms of the Bulls, particularly in the pack. Yeah, I mean, and Leinster want that. I mean, I'd say they're crying out for for a really competitive game. And I, I think they'll get it certainly for a while from the Bulls. Yeah, they, they have, the Bulls have, to me, the best overall kind of balance of, of maybe some of those South African sides. And so they can ask questions in terms of in the pack and in terms of offensively from the back line as well. Yeah, I, I think it'll be a lot closer than, than people think. Um, I think the Bulls now are a different beast than when Leinster put like 50 odd points on them uh, at the beginning of the season. Hen- Cornel Hendricks, a uh, really classy guy, and he's actually quite a powerful centre. And we have Tamboy as well. Chris Smith is there, obviously. There's a lot of guys who are even, must be close to, to be sele- selected for South Africa as well, like Grobler and, and Kutsi as well. So, yeah, I'm I'm actually looking forward to that game. The two games are going to be crackers. Yeah, I think they will be crackers, to be honest. I think these are your best four teams in the ORC. Uh, I think there won't be much in between these two fixtures, to be honest. But I think with the Bulls, they kind of know what to expect from Leinster. But I would, as I said, completely disregard that early season uh, game when the Bulls went up to the RDS and got tanked. Uh, it'll be far different. I can see the Bulls really providing an awful lot of challenges to Leinster particularly in the kick game, but also in the ball carrying stakes, particularly the collisions, particularly in that front five. And again, it might have realms of a bit of La Rochelle kind of set up about it. But Bulls are very capable of stringing some good attacking moves together with Tambay and others there. Uh, Hendricks as well, being phenomenal talent, was very prominent against the Sharks as well. So I'm very interested in that, just to see how Leinster will react and respond to it, because it got no test against Glasgow, let's be perfectly fair. But I suppose we'll put your um, few predictions, I suppose, here, Liam, in terms of Leinster and the Bulls. Who do you feel is going to advance to that grand final? Yeah, and again, again, it it is tough, you know, because you're only given less than a week's notice mm. from when the results come in as to who you're travelling to. So that, that you know, and, and and that works either way. So it's going to be tough in that sense for the Bulls to travel. But yeah, I think that Leinster will get maybe their sternest test this season from any team in the URC. I still think that Leinster in the second half have that extra gear that they, they, they always find. I'm still going to say in the end, plus 20 points. So 20 point win for Leinster. Well, I'll go for Leinster, but I'll probably go more, probably seven points and purely because, because I think the Bulls will represent an awful lot of challenges here for Leinster. It'll be fascinating to see the team selection from Leo Cullen here. Guys that performed against Glasgow probably will be pretty disappointed not to start, given their cameos. What does Leo Cullen do here? Is it another mishmash of first-team players and fringe squad players? Or does he go all out here? You know, he's first choice, 23. So I think there may be some cohesion issues early from Leinster. Wouldn't be all surprised if Bulls got an early try here to really kind of test the metal of the home crowd as well in the RDS. 
because this is going to be a crunch game. I think URC wise, I think as you say, this represents most difficult game for Leinster this year. But I still think they'll find a way. I think like said, Janet Van der Fleer, Caelan Doris. It's that logistics in terms of, as you say, the travel, you know, having to kind of come to Dublin. And it's a Friday night kickoff as well. So it's that disadvantage as well. But I think the Bulls will put up a great show. They, they won't die for the 80 minutes. But I think I think Leinster by probably seven, seven to ten. But I don't think it'll be the cakewalk. I think this will be a Blunder Thunder playoff tie. Just given what the Bulls, physicality-wise, they will be bringing it from minute one. And I suppose the other uh, game in South Africa, the Stormers and Ulster Rugby. Who do you fancy here? Well, like I suppose, I suppose the the head would say, wouldn't it? It would say, it would be Stormers all the way. But um, I think this season, when we when we've expected them to really have comfortable victories, it hasn't actually come that way. It hasn't worked out. Um, there's some fascinating battles there. Obviously, the big one, obviously, being Roos and uh, Vermeulen. And that in terms of halfbacks, even to see Billy Burns and uh, going up against Manny Libok. So that's 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 amazing. And two brilliant backlines, too. So it's going to be a very open game. It's going to be very, I suppose, so the, the back row is going to be key in, in terms of turnovers as well. I, I just have this sneaking feeling that Ulster can pull off his time what was denied them in the very last minute the last time. So I would go for Ulster by something like uh, to get over the line by three points. There's certainly that added motivation after what happened down in South Africa not too recently. So I know that Ulster rugby squad group will be very galvanised management to right a few wrongs from that trip. From my perspective, from Ulster rugby, this is set up nicely. I mean, Storm's probably going in as favourites here, I would say, just given seeding and the way they played, particularly down in South Africa. There's been an awful lot of good press coverage in terms of the Stormers uh, to lead up to this game. But I think also will pose an awful, lot of, uh, an awful lot of challenges here, particularly in their kick game. Also, I think the pack, the pack set piece, you know, Rob Herring, particularly in the lineouts, you know, very accurate. You've Lisa Henderson, you know, you've O'Connor, you've guys like that to really step in. Nick Timoney from Ulan. It's... Tom O'Toole really has to deliver here. I, I think my, my concern for Ulster is probably maybe scrummaging at scrum time a little bit because that's phenomenal Stormers front five from a scrummaging unit perspective. But if they can kind of negate that, I think they've every chance. I'd look, there's fascinating matchups uh, for sure. Uh, I think for USC organizers' dream, I would they would think hopefully a Northern Hemisphere versus Southern Hemisphere team to really sell this to a global audience uh, for the grand final, potentially in Dublin. I'm probably just going to go Stormers, but I think it's going to be plus three. I don't think it's going to be much in this game, to be fair. But Mike Lowry as well, the availability of Mike Lowry as well cannot be underestimated here, Liam. I know he's missing against the Munster Rugby, but again, Lowry would bring you that X factor from the backfield that may be required by Ulster Rugby at certain points. So I think if he's not playing, and this is no slight on Moore or McElroy or any of these guys, but you need that X factor in these playoff games, and particularly that back three, particularly like Sabalicum. You have um, you know Mike Lowry there as well, coming in, hitting the line hard. I think they may be missing a little bit of that. I think for that reason, I think Stormers just about to edge this by three points, but far from a cakewalk for the Stormers. I suppose, Liam, before we leave you, the URC Team of the Year got announced. 
I don't know if you've had a chance to have a review. Uh, any kind of comments on that? Uh, one no, I, I have, uh, yeah. player uh, named here. Uh, much of the consternation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in Burn, yeah. And again, I suppose what we have to kind of countenance in there is there was a certain limit uh, of games, a minimum limit that, pe- that players had to play. I think it was like nine or ten games in the season that they had to play. Um, so that ruled an awful lot of Leinster and Munster players out as well. Um, so pretty much all the Leinster <laughs> first 15 guys were were ruled out on that basis. So Burn got in there. And that's I suppose you'd have to say questionable there in terms of in terms of out half. There was 10 South African players, so five from from the Irish teams. And in terms of uh, obviously for us as as uh, Munster fans. Great to see John Klein get in there at uh, at lock, and then we had Craig Casey at scrum half, and I certainly couldn't argue against the two of those guys. Nick Timoney gets in deservedly as well, uh, and uh, James Hume I think at uh, outside centre. Yeah. After that, it was basically kind of like a lot of bulls and uh, stormers. And I think Bongi, yeah, there was uh, one, certainly I think Bongi and Bonambi got in there at Hooker. What, what, what's your views on the, the team? Yeah, I thought it was an interesting team. I mean, we'll see the Stormers in full effect in their backline anyway, because four of, four, of four of the backline are coming from the Stormers anyway. I mean, delight for James Hume. I think that's a just reward for a superb season. Uh, Ross Byrne. Now, in fairness to Ross Byrne, he's been steady. He's been very consistent and reliable for Leinster rugby this season in the URC campaign. So I think from that perspective, look, Leinster are top, they're top seeds. There had to be a player uh, here, particularly from a Leinster perspective. And uh, Look, I would say probably Livock for me. <laughs> You're probably going to say, oh, it's dominated by war, uh, Stormers uh, guys here. But again, I, can't, I have no argument in terms of maybe kind of the... The, the back or the pack as well. I mean, Timoney was great. Uh, Klein at Munster is probably recognition for a consistent season, I would say, in the URC, particularly from Jean Klein. I have no arguments whatsoever on that uh, front row, just given the criterion, as you said, in terms of the URC team of the season. It did create an awful lot of consternation. I think these teams will always, you know, for a team of the year, but. I mean, it's all on the pudding now. It's all for the playoffs, semi-finals this weekend, finals then coming up. I mean, you can judge it for yourself uh, in terms of the cream you know, rising to the top here. So I think from that perspective, plenty of Leinster rugby gloves. If they wanted a little bit of motivation, saw the team of the year, they could literally use that as poster material. But I don't think anyone is going to be losing that much sleep, particularly in Leinster rugby, particularly if they got to the final and won it. So... Yeah, I don't, don't really have any genuine kind of grievances there. Maybe did Lowry kind of not feature in there in that fullback position? I don't know. I thought he played the minimum criterion of games there in the URC, but I might be wrong. But Gallant has been superb for the Stormers as well. And I mean, that backfield for Stormers is just electric uh, with front football. So look, everyone's entitled to their own opinion. So, I mean, it's a good old discussion point ahead of these playoffs. Yeah, Liam, we might leave it there anyway. Many thanks there, uh, Liam, for your contributions, as always. Some very insightful points. Next week, we'll review the URC playoff picture. Again, four will turn into two, so we'll know our grand final uh, finalists. So until then, uh, many thanks, and yeah, we'll talk to you next week. 
Thank you for listening to this podcast episode. If you liked what you heard in this podcast, why not subscribe to the Hawkeye Psychic podcast on either Amazon, Spotify, YouTube or Twitter platforms. You can also follow me at Hawkeye Psychic on Facebook and Twitter for the latest sporting opinions, articles and reports.